Today begins the season of Advent. Advent comes from a Latin word that means arrival. It means something is coming. It means God is about to do something new. What that new thing is is what we'll talk about on Christmas Eve. What I want to talk to you about today is how he's going to do it. How is God going to come into the world? Even after 2,000 years, it is still an idea that is utterly unexpected. God is going to come into this experience by being born as a baby. And so from the very beginning, this arrival is not some far-off cosmic event. It is a deeply human, deeply intimate miracle. What I want to talk to you about today is why God chose to become incarnate in the womb of a mother. And so I'd like to talk to you today about motherhood and the peculiar love that really is unique to mothers. One of the most moving scenes over the last week of news has been watching Israeli mothers reunited with their kidnapped children. In one particular video, a young boy is handed over to his mother and the mother holds him for what seems like an eternity. So much is being telegraphed in that scene. The relief of the mother, the love of this mother for her son, but also her concern for him. She holds him gently carefully. You can see how worried she is. She knows that this is a trauma that it's, is going to take time to recover from, and she's clearly committed to seeing that through to the end. As I have watched this war unfold over these last few months, I have paid special attention to mothers, both Israeli and Palestinian, because the single greatest instinct of any mother is to protect their children. And when that ability is taken away from them, it's like their entire world is taken away. And this has reminded me of another political event from about 50 years ago, which is Argentina in the 1970s. There was a military dictatorship in Argentina this dictatorship did many awful things, but the worst of what they did is that they kidnapped over 20,000 young people. They sent them to torture camps and they killed virtually all of them. But what made this worse is that they didn't tell their families what had happened to them. These young people became known as los desparecidos, meaning the disappeared, because these young people were simply gone. And no one would tell the families where they were, which meant the families were denied both hope and grief. If they had been told that their children were still alive, at least then they could have some hope of their return. On the other hand, if they had been told that their children were dead, of course that would have been terrible, but at least they could then mourn them. They could stop their frantic search for them. But these families were denied both of these. They were told nothing. In response, it was mothers who took action. The mothers of these disappeared young people got together and they began to march around a plaza in Buenos Aires. 
During these demonstrations, they would tie cloth diapers around their heads like scarves, which was a visual symbol of their motherhood, that these mothers were not going to give up, that these mothers were driven to protect their children. Eventually, the police kicked them out of the plaza, but they didn't stop. They organized a pilgrimage. They walked 30 miles away from Buenos Aires to a religious site called Our Lady of Lujan, where there is a statue of the Virgin Mary. And I want to stop there for a moment because I want to point out the fact that these mothers could have taken a pilgrimage anywhere. But they chose to go to a statue of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Why? Why was that mother from the Bible so important to them? What help could that person, Mary, give to them as they faced the awful reality of their disappeared children? Well, I would suggest that they understood something that many people have forgotten, which is that Mary's pregnancy was not a sweet, innocent, sentimental event. We have made Christmas sentimental. We have surrounded Christmas with nostalgia and decorations and gift giving, but in the Bible, Christmas was a confusing, upsetting, terrifying event that Mary did not understand. And it was preceded by another strange pregnancy, that of her cousin Elizabeth. Today, we're going to look at the meeting of these two mothers and ask the question, what was God up to when he chose these two mothers to carry out his plan of salvation? Our reading is from Luke 1, Verses 26 to 45. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I am a virgin, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts on this your holy word be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us and through us as your people. Amen. The image on the cover of our bulletin this week is a painting by Henry Joseph Tanner. If you have that bulletin with you, I'd encourage you to take a look at that. This painting is actually on display at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. If anyone so wishes, they can go see it. It depicts the moment that Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel. He tells her that she is going to become pregnant and she will bear a son and that this son will be called son of the most high. He will be like no other man before him and he will reign over people forever. Mary's reaction might surprise people who think that they know this story because Mary does not say, this is great. I am pregnant by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the first words out of her mouth form a question, how is this possible? For I am a virgin. In other words, her first reaction is not faith, but doubt. And that's your first clue that Christmas is not supposed to be sentimental. The second clue is in Mary's emotional reaction to the angel. In verse 29, we read this, Mary was perplexed. This Greek term can also be translated disturbed, agitated, confused. In fact, most translations say greatly troubled. Greatly troubled. Mary is freaking out. If you look at Tanner's painting, I think he does a remarkable job of portraying Mary's reaction. Look at her face. What do you see? I see fear. I see guardedness, I see stress, I see skepticism. Most of all, I see the look of someone who knows that life is about to get a lot more difficult. Let's just review the facts. Mary is an unmarried woman, probably in her early teens, barely past puberty, living in a tiny village in which most people were lucky to survive to adulthood. One of the few protections women had was marriage, And Mary has found a man to marry, which meant she had accomplished one of the first goals in life for any person in this time to begin a family, giving a person some protection against the enormous uncertainties of that world. Now think to yourself, what's going to happen when her fiance hears that she is pregnant? What's Joseph going to do? What will her parents do? What will her village think? What will she think? I mean, will she herself think that she's going mad to become pregnant without ever having been with a man? Will she even take this vision from the angel seriously? See, we're beginning to see that this is not a hallmark Christmas card. This is a moment of confusion and doubt and fear. But the angel Gabriel tells Mary one more thing that begins to help her manage this overwhelming moment. He tells her that there actually is another miraculous pregnancy, that of her cousin Elizabeth. She is pregnant with a child who will become John the Baptist, 
But of course, Mary knows that Elizabeth was far too old to have a child. And that is why, according to Luke, Mary sets out with haste to go see her cousin because she is overwhelmed. She doesn't trust her own experience, but she knows one thing. If it is true that Elizabeth is pregnant, then God indeed is at work here because now we have not one but two pregnancies that should not be taking place. And so the two mothers meet, one just a teenager, the other an old woman. Neither one would think would be ideal vessels for God's miracle. And yet when they meet, something amazing happens. The babies in their wombs recognize each other. Elizabeth feels the child within her leaping when he senses that Jesus has entered the room. It's an amazing detail and it confirms for these women that there is something going on here that's real. Their pregnancies have been orchestrated by God to carry out a divine purpose. And so Mary finally has a little comfort, not a lot, but a little comfort for two reasons. First of all, she knows that she's not crazy. She wasn't hallucinating when she saw the angel. Elizabeth, in fact, told her that she too had a vision of the angel Gabriel. But secondly, and more importantly, now these two women have one another. They are bound together by this bond of shared purpose. They together will be instruments of God's salvation. And so just as the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo experienced, one mother is powerful, but a group of mothers is world-changing. But this begs the question, what exactly is God doing? Why these women? And again, I can't stress enough the fact that this is not an innocent story. These are women on the edge of survival who are coming together as mothers to do the most daring thing any person can do, which is to trust things that we don't fully understand. Look at what Elizabeth tells Mary after she realizes what is happening. She says, blessed is she who believed. The Greek word is pistis. It's, it's often translated believe, but I think you know that I, I don't like that translation because the better translation is trust. Mary is not being asked to believe in God in some intellectual way. She's being asked to trust God that despite her very reasonable fears of scandal and abandonment of punishment for this scandalous pregnancy, that things will be okay because God can be trusted. Mary is doing the thing that we're all called to do first, which is to trust, not to understand. Understanding is great, but the most important things in life are always beyond understanding. And so the first thing that God calls you to do is to trust him, that he does have your interests at heart, that he has a plan for you, that there is meaning to your life, and that even the difficult things in life are part of that plan. And now I think we're beginning to see why God chose this woman. It's because she trusts. And God certainly knew that her trials would be many. Her marriage will survive this scandal, but that is only the beginning of the danger in her life. In the weeks after this child is born, Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus must flee to Egypt because King Herod sends men down to chase down and murder Jesus. Jesus is born into danger and his entire life really is a journey to the cross. Now here's my point. 
knowing how important this life would be. Knowing that the salvation of humanity rested on the life of this Savior, God had to decide how Jesus would come into the world. How could Jesus learn the resilience and the trust that he himself would need to face the trials that he would face? Of course, there's only one answer to that question. He had to have a good mother. It's interesting when you look at the Gospels, after the birth narratives, Joseph largely disappears, but Mary is everywhere. She's with him at the wedding when he turns water to wine. She's with him when he's teaching. Most painfully, she is there at the cross while she watches her son take his last breath. Only a mother who has lost a child could know what that was like. And you see, this is why the mothers of Argentina went to Mary. Because they knew that of all people, she knew what it was like to lose a child. She understood their panic, their terror, their pain, their sense of injustice. But of course it goes deeper because the child that Mary lost, as impossible as it sounds, was God himself. And now we have come to the real point of Advent. God is coming into the world. God is coming here to save everyone from the sin that holds us captive. And in fact, that's why we hold one another captive, because sin holds us captive. God, seeing what we do to one another, how much we are imprisoned by sin, has come to save us in the most unbelievable way possible through the womb of a young mother. It's the most counterintuitive reality. If you say you understand it, you don't understand it. In fact, I don't even want to talk about how it happened because I don't think we can talk about that. But what we can talk about is what it means that the creator of the world became vulnerable. I mean, think about that. Is there any other tradition that says this? Most traditions I know, apart from Christianity, say that God is invulnerable. God cannot be harmed. God is all-powerful. God is almighty. He has no weaknesses. But is there anything more vulnerable, more in need of a mother's protection than a newborn child? I remember when my kids were born, the nurse handed us these, and one of them is right back there driving his mother crazy. <laughs> Lucian, I'm talking about you, so behave yourself, buddy. <laughs> I remember when my kids were born. The nurse handed us these little people wrapped in blankets, these precious little beings, utterly defenseless, looking into their precious faces with those little fingers, already with the little fingernails growing on them, those little fingers that if you put your finger into them, they grab hold of your finger. I felt many things. I felt an overwhelming sense of love for them. I felt absolutely in awe of the miracle that is childbirth. But I also felt fear. Can I protect this child? Can I make sure this precious life survives me? What the incarnation says is that this is the way God entered the world as a vulnerable baby who could be killed and who would later be killed and in that vulnerability and in the frightening beauty of that vulnerability 
God saved us. Again, I don't expect you to understand it. I don't understand it. I only ask you one thing. Don't domesticate it. Don't turn this miracle into a Hallmark card because Christmas is not cute. Christmas is not sentimental. Christmas is the power of God come to save sinners. And you see, that's why it's good news. Because what this miracle ultimately means is that God himself is a mother who will pursue you to the very ends of the earth. It's not such a strange idea. It actually comes from Scripture. One of the recurring images in Scripture of God is that of motherhood. We heard one of those just a few minutes ago when Hannah read from Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born, though she may forget? I will not forget you, says the Lord. It's a picture of a mother who pursues her lost children wherever they are lost, wherever they are held captive by sin, and I mean this literally. Whatever you have experienced, let's just take the shame away by naming it. Whatever it is for you, abuse, rape, drug addiction, betrayal, fraud, theft, prison, depression, suicide attempts, Whatever darkness has been in your life, it is no longer a barrier because God has come into this world to share in human pain and to transform death into life. And I want to stress this again. This is not a metaphor. This is real. And the reason it's so important to say this is because the salvation you need is not metaphorical, is it? Do you want a fable about salvation? Or do you want to be saved? Not as a thought, but as a reality. God has entered this fallen world. C.S. Lewis said that he has entered enemy territory. He's invaded this fallen world because he's here to rescue his children who are in captivity. I think he's sort of like a mother bear. And when he finds you, no matter what dark place you were in, the one thing he'll ask you to do is trust. One of my favorite quotes about the incarnation comes from the African theologian, uh, Laman Sana. He put the incarnation this way, God was in Christ to show that the only acceptable offering we can give God is ourselves. And this is ultimately what Mary gave herself. She didn't hold anything back. And this is why Elizabeth says of Mary, blessed is she who trusted, because at the end of the day, what God asks from you is merely everything, that your life will be given to him, that there's no part of your life that you'll keep from him. He wants it all because he wants to free all of it from the captivity of sin. Let's end in prayer. God, as we enter this Advent season, we pray that you would keep us centered in your sacrificial love. Open our eyes to miracles, both big and small. Soften our hearts to become generous as Christ was generous. And we pray this in his name. Amen.